Hi, this is John Fantine, lead pastor of Evolve Church, and this is the Evolve Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We trust that this week's message is encouraging and full of hope for wherever you are at. We started a series last week called It's a Crazy, Messy, Wonderful Life, and uh, we're going to dive into part two today. Truth is, this time of year for a lot of people um, is really, really difficult. It brings up uh, family stuff. It brings up maybe a tragedy that took place sometime in the last 12 months, and we're faced with a, a first Christmas, maybe without a loved one. Um, it brings up just the stress and the pressure that some people seem to carry when they, th- they feel like they have to meet expectations or um, spend money they don't have. There's so much pushing at uh, human beings over the Christmas season. And it can be crazy and messy, and at the same time, it can be wonderful. And we wanted to take a few weeks and talk about that. And last week, if you were not here, or if you were, I just kind of want to do a quick recap. I'm going to read a few of the, um, the passages from the Bible that we shared and, and taught from. Um, we started with Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, and it says, For it was always in his perfect plan, God's perfect plan, to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that God's tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify God's grace. For that same love that God has for his beloved Jesus, God has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure. And from Ephesians 1, we just simply said, you know, it was always in God's heart to adopt every human being as his son and daughter every human being. And when humans begin to live in the grace of Jesus and and figure out the love of Jesus, it actually brings God pleasure. And then we read from 2 Corinthians 6, 18, where it says, I'll be a true father to you, and you'll be my beloved sons and daughters, says the Lord Yahweh Almighty, the Lord God. And Galatians 4, 5 through 7, it said, yet all of this was so that he, God, would redeem and set free all of those held hostage to the written law, so that he would receive our freedom and a full legal adoption as his children. You know, we kind of told a story last week from from the dawn of creation up until today. How God established a relationship and a covenant with one specific tribe of human beings. And through a system of law and covenant and rules and sacrifices, people could somehow win God's favor and, and cover out brokenness and sin for a little bit of time. But it was like always this revisit back to the drawing board, back to the table. Um, and God, God put a new plan into place, a new covenant through Jesus, where there was one price paid one time for all of humanity. And now every human being can understand and live in the freedom of what it means to be a son or a daughter of God. So that we would know for sure that we're his true children. God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts Not into a building, not into a book, not into a system of rules and regulations, but into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, my Father, you're our true Father. So what we talked about last week was that in all the years of you learning about God, or not learning about God, all the years that have shaped your personal theology, and again, theology simply means whatever you believe to be true, about God's nature and his character. I hope 
that in all the years of you learning about God and shaping some kind of theology, that there have been glimmers of this truth. We exist on planet Earth because the Father heart of God longed for a real and intimate relationship with sons and with daughters. That's why we're here. The original purpose for what we call Christmas today was that God needed to restore his broken relationship with his kids. God needed to fix what men and women broke. What human beings broke through darkness and through sin, God had in his heart all along to restore and redeem and to fix. And he did that through Christmas, through Jesus coming. And I believe that it's still God's plan for us to acknowledge that Christmas is about the heart of God, Father, wanting to redeem and restore relationship with family. That's what Christmas is all about. It's through Jesus that we are, each one of us, invited into this mended and healed relationship with God the Father. And it's through Jesus that we become a part of uh, church or family in a spiritual way, the household of God. And the Bible talks a lot, actually, about the household of God. What does it mean to belong to this household? And we understand household in terms of our generation, our biological or adopted family, where we live, who we do life with in our household. But when the Bible talks about household in the context of us being family with God, it's actually talking about generations. It's talking about nations. It's talking about past, present, future And it's inviting us into this way bigger story of belonging to God's family. You know, when Nicole and I made the decision in February to move to Edmonton, we left behind 21 years of family. We left behind over two decades of helping lead and serve in the context of Jesus' church. And we loved what what we were doing. As a matter of fact, we had every intention of staying there for the rest of our lives. But we knew that God was asking us to move here and start something new. And so with with a lot of fear, with a lot of um, tears, we made this very intentional and faith-filled decision to move here and to leave biological family, to leave um, my wife's parents and siblings, but to leave two decades' worth of church family that we had done life with, grown with, been encouraged by, helped to encourage You know, in seasons where we need to be lifted up, there were people that would help carry us. In seasons where people in our world needed a helping hand, we were there for them. And it was was family, and it was rich, and it was beautiful, and it was good. And one of the things that terrified me most about moving here was, like, starting from scratch. I actually love the richness of being a part of God's family. And I love blood relationships also. Like, I love family, family. But there's something about belonging to a greater family of people that, you know, we share values. We don't agree on everything, but we share core values. We share a love for God. We share a love for Jesus and his church. And our lives have been so full over the last six or seven months as we've been obedient, trusted God, moved here. This thing has gotten off the ground. And just on Friday night, we had a big team night. We had a big Christmas party for all of the Evolved Church volunteers. We got together, and there was over 70 of us crammed into this uh, beautiful space. And we partied, and we laughed together, and we had a great time. And at the end of the night, my wife, we took a couple minutes just to share with our team, but Nicole said something that actually really struck me. 
as being profound and beautiful and good. You know, one of the things that we appreciate about a new church startup is that it, it's small, and it feels like family. It feels intimate. And we come, and we're, we're maybe we're new, so we're, we're meeting people, but you know, the weeks we venture back, we feel like personal connections with people. We're growing in friendship. We're growing in relationship. And we want this to stay feeling like family. We want it to always feel like family. But if you've noticed what I've noticed over the last 12 weeks, every Sunday, new people are coming. Every Sunday, new people are staying. Every Sunday, new people become return guests. And then they stop being guests and they start becoming family. And what Nicole said on Friday to our team is like, what one person in your world, as we continue to grow, what one person, like, where do we draw the line? Where's the cap at family? Like, when is too big too big? And I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but what I do know is that as I meet people in this city who have a longing for something meaningful and a longing and a heart cry for something spiritual, and what they desire is this. They desire family. I don't want to draw any lines. I don't want to cut off anybody from experiencing this because the cool thing is that actually families are designed to grow, even biologically, right? I, at one point, I was single, and then I met Nicole, and we chose to covenant in marriage and do life together as husband and wife, and eventually we, we produced a child and then a, a second child and a third child and now two dogs. What was I thinking with the dogs? But uh, we didn't produce those, by the way. We just bought them, uh, just to be clear. <laughs> you know, and, and but we, we, it's not just us. It's not just our nucleus of five. It's also my parents and my three siblings and their spouses and kids and Nicole's parents and her two siblings and their spouses and their kids. But it's also grandparents and aunts and uncles and cousins. Families are designed to grow. They're designed to grow. And spiritually, families are meant to grow. We're not meant to just sort of maintain a sense of privacy in a club that we like hanging out at. We're meant to share what we have with other people. And uh, to fully grasp God's heart on restoring family, we need to be able to unpack it in the context of nations, of generations, not just us and our four and no more, but this lengthy perspective of how we've been shaped by others in the past and how we're going to be involved in helping shape something out for others in the future. So let's decide together today that it's at the very heart of God to bring healing and restoration to family this Christmas. Even if you have to pretend with me, could we pretend together? Just as an exercise, could we say, you know what? God sent Jesus for the sole purpose of redeeming and healing a relationship with family. Well, what that means is God wants to bring healing between God as, as father and sons and daughters. And some of you here today are already feeling a healing between you and God in some way, in some spiritual, supernatural way. And as you come back week after week, we just trust that God's going to continue to show you what it means to walk in a mended and healed relationship with him. But God also wants to mend, heal, and restore relationships between his sons and daughters. And that means your relationships, your context of life on earth, your family connections biologically, your family in terms of church relationships, your coworkers, where you do life. I believe that throughout this month, some of you will see healing come in the relationship between you and a fellow brother or sister. 
God's going to restore something. He's going to heal something. In 1997, uh, best-selling author Stephen Covey in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families, made this statement. He said, if we don't take ourselves into account, all we're doing is projecting ourselves onto life and onto other people. We then judge ourselves by our motives and others by their behavior. Have you heard that said before? That we seem to judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by what we intended to do? We judge other people by how they behave and how they treat us, but we judge ourselves by our our motive and what we know is actually going on inside of us. There's a huge difference between what we do and what we wanted to do or what we intended to do. And this is important in the context of relationships and family. Point in case. You know, it's happened in my 18 years of married life that Nicole has put on her coat and grabbed her purse and said, "Hun, I'm just stepping out for a little bit. I put a load of laundry in the wash. When it finishes, could you transfer it over to the dryer, please? Yeah, you bet, hon. I'd love to do that for you. Four hours later, she comes home. And what happens when she walks in the door? I remember what I forgot, right? Because I was busy with important things. Like I was probably doing something insignificant that made me forget to change over the laundry. Now, I intended to change over the laundry. I meant to. And when she asked, I said, absolutely, I would love to do that for you. And, and the kicker is this. Have you heard of the concept of the five love languages? My wife, in many ways, is an acts of service kind of woman. So I know that when I, when I do things around the home to serve her, things heat up. Like, it's, it's just how it is. Like, she feels loved uh, when, I, when, I, when, I ser- when I do things for her. And so when I forget to switch over the laundry, I get, I get into panic mode, right? Because I, I said I was going to do it. I, I intended to do it, but I didn't do it. And now she's gracious and loving and kind, and she never gets frustrated or you know, loses her temper with me. She just doesn't because she's, she's really as close to hu- perfection in humanity that I've, I've ever seen. So, so, you know, these aren't big deals in my house, but, but the idea of what we say we're going to do or what we intended to do, and, and we maybe feel guilty for a split second, but we can brush it off as, well, I, I meant to do it or I intended to do it. Now, this, this is a, a, a small example. We're talking about laundry. What about the big ones? What about the big things in life that, that really matter? We judge other people by what they do and what they say to us, but we judge ourselves by what we intended to do or what we intended to say, what we meant to do. And I think this is never more true than when it comes to the issue of wrongs done against us, of things that have happened between parents and daughter, between son and grandfather, any combination of relationship that you can think of. The issue of not forgiving, of unforgiveness, really brings this concept to light. Because when we do something wrong, and we know it, we just expect that people will forgive us. Well, I apologize. Forgive me. Why why are you holding this over me? Man, it's been years. Why can't we get through this? And yet, when wrongs happen to us, our intentions and our motives seem to be good enough 
to allow ourselves to carry unforgiveness. Well, they haven't apologized. What they did was wrong. They don't deserve my forgiveness. I intended to forgive, but time passed, and I kind of forgot about it, and we didn't, haven't really talked in years. What? Who has hurt you, or who has wronged you, or who has offended you? Maybe a sibling, an old friend, a pastor or a church leader, someone that you trusted, a parent or a guardian, a co-worker. You know, it's impossible to separate our love from God from our love from people. Two Sundays ago, as we defined what it means to love neighbors, we talked about these examples where Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus' response to what the single greatest commandment is was two things. Love God, love neighbors. But it's not two things. It's actually one thing. There are two separate commands, but one fluid response. You're going to be unable to experience a wholeness with God until you also choose to pursue wholeness with others. And maybe some of the tension that you feel at Christmas is connected to some kind of hurt, some kind of wrongdoing, some kind of thing that was maybe in the past but has never, never really been processed or dealt with. 1 John 4 Verse 20 and 21 in the message translation, it says, if anybody boasts, I love God, and then goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. <laughs> That's harsh. But if, if he won't love the person that he can see, how can he love the God that he can't see? The command that we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. And in our pursuit of, of receiving love from God and showing God love and, and desiring wholeness there, we also have to care and pay close attention to how we are loving and receiving love from family, from neighbors, from strangers, from others, whatever that means. But I believe that some of the chaos and the heartache and the crazy, messy stuff that we experience at Christmas is because we've, we've not dealt with things. We've not forgiven. We've not invited the presence of God to touch relationships? Is there someone in your life that you've intentionally chosen to not forgive? I'm curious. I don't need you to answer, but I do want to know how that's working out for you. You know, a number of years ago, 11 or 12 years ago, um, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. I screwed up. I, ma- I made a, an error in relationship with people that I loved. And, and as a result, walked through a season of just being, being coached and being loved and being corrected. And some of those relationships uh, I felt were treating me unfairly in a response to what had happened. And I felt like I was in a season of, like, being mistreated and, and feeling like something was unjust. Man, I, I said sorry. I apologized. I've made it right. And yet these factors, what's the deal? And one of my closest friends and mentors, a guy by the name of Russ, we were talking about this one day, and he said, Jono, you're going to have to just be good with the truth that you're only responsible for your response. You're only responsible for how you respond. And you're so consumed with what other people might be or saying or intended to or 
mistreat or injustice. The definition of forgiveness in Wikipedia says forgiveness is the intentional and voluntary process by which a victim undergoes a change in feelings and attitude regarding an offense, lets go of negative emotions such as vengefulness, forswears recompense from or punishment of the offender, however legally or morally justified it might be, and with an increased ability to wish the offender well. How's that for a definition of forgiveness? You know what the Bible doesn't talk about? Apologizing. I couldn't find it. And why do we withhold forgiveness? Well, because we're waiting for an apology. We're waiting for them to tell us they screwed up. But the Bible never commands us to apologize. It commands us to forgive. It commands us to walk in forgiveness. It commands us to choose forgiveness. Well, what's forgiveness? Forgiveness is intentional. It's voluntary. It's a process. But we actually choose to undergo a process where our feelings and our attitudes change regarding whatever happened. We let go of negative emotions. We choose not to be vengeful. We choose not to say they're going to get theirs and I hope they do. We forgive, regardless of how morally or legally justified we may or may not be. But then we have this increased ability to actually wish that person well, to choose a different kind of response. Is your crazy, messy, wonderful life attached to something left unchecked, some relationship that went toxic, some offense that you never processed, some person that you never forgave? Maybe, just maybe, the truth of Christmas and God sending Jesus to restore relationship, to restore family between us and him and between us and each other. Maybe the, the truth of Christmas wants to shed some light on something in your heart, in your life. Have you justified an issue of unforgiveness because you're waiting for somebody else to apologize? The issue of forgiveness is more about your response, you choosing to be responsible for how you respond rather than the response of whoever else was involved. In closing, Peter, in uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 21, Peter gets up the nerve to ask Jesus, Master, how many times do I forgive a brother or a sister who hurts me? Is it seven? And Jesus replied, seven? Hardly. Try 70 times seven. And now, in, in looking at the power of numbers and, and, the, and the number seven, and a lot of Bible scholars would agree that the seven has this, this perfection and this infinite definition attached to it. So what Jesus is saying is, if you need to forgive somebody, forgive them. Well, how many times? As often as you need to. Well, but when is enough enough? Forgive them anyways. Yeah, but no, just keep forgiving. But they hurt me. Well, maybe you could put some boundaries in place, but you can still forgive them. And what's fascinating to me is that right before this, Jesus was actually teaching his disciples. And when I studied and was preparing for today and I read through this, I couldn't make sense of it. Because what Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 19, a couple of verses before, he says, take this most seriously. And I think if Jesus, like, 
Jesus, Jesus, in a moment of teaching his, his, his crew, was like, by the way, guys, lean in. A yes on earth is yes in heaven. A no on earth is no in heaven. What you say to one another is eternal. I mean this. When two of you get together on anything at all on earth and make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action. And when two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure that I'll be there. And then Peter says, okay, so how many times do we have to forgive? Was Jesus talking about forgiveness when he was talking about the conversations that we have one to another being eternal and inviting the essence of Jesus' life and his spirit into those relationships? And when we can find agreement, even if it's a no or if it is a yes, that God's presence is there? And I think that's the key. What we communicate to one another as family is eternal. God's present in our togetherness, in our yeses and in our noes. Togetherness is evident most in how we choose to forgive and keep forgiving. This isn't an area in our lives that we can afford to simply gauge our motives or our intentions for wanting to forgive. I intended to forgive them, but so much time had passed. You know, water under the bridge, bygones be bygones. And yet you won't sit with them at a table. Let's decide together that it's at the very heart of God to bring healing and restoration to his crazy, messy, wonderful family, family, this Christmas. Healing between... God and sons and daughters, and healing between sons and daughters. True healing and wholeness starts when we choose to forgive. So, who do you need to forgive today in your crazy, messy, wonderful life to make room for wholeness to grow and flourish? Because if we love God, we've got to love others. And love brings forgiveness. Amen? Let's pray. God, thank you for the opportunity to be here together. Even um, when we talk about things that bring up feelings that are negative or hurtful or painful, your very creative presence still has a way of bringing peace and understanding and healing and calm. And in this room of beautiful people that represent a snapshot of your family are also individuals who represent other families. And in this room are stories of heartache, stories of brokenness, stories of hurts and wrongdoing, stories of injustice. At the hand of those that we call family or once called family. And maybe we've been hanging on to something. Maybe we intended to forgive. And as we've been busy judging other people by their behavior, we've been okay judging ourselves by what our motive or our intention was. But God, you call us to something higher. You invite us into something deeper and more meaningful. And we acknowledge that even if it might hurt a little bit, that it's the noble and beautiful and holy and godly thing to do 
that we can choose today to be responsible for our response and forgive. We don't even have to wait for an apology or an acknowledgement of wrongdoing. But we can choose to allow this process of healing to change how we feel about someone to the point that we even wish them well. God, you can do that in our lives. You can bring the wonderful out of our crazy mess. You can bring the life out of our darkness if we choose to honor you and pursue wholeness with you and with others, with neighbors, with strangers, and certainly with family. In Jesus' name. So much for listening. Visit evolvechurch.com for more information. Everything in Edmonton area is not